Hi there, you're listening to the First Baptist Church of Oregon City podcast. I'm Pastor John Witham. This sermon, Following Jesus, is from 1 March 2020. The scripture is Luke 9, 51 through 62. It is the first of our Lenten messages. Thank you for listening, and may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. If you want a nice pick-me-up, go on YouTube and look up a video called Whenever I'm Happy, My Dog is Happy. One more time. Whenever I'm Happy, My Dog is Happy. And I can't remember the fellow's name, but the video begins with his, he's in the car with his dog Quincy in the passenger seat. And he goes, Quincy, we're going on a road trip. Woo! And then Quincy goes, And the whole video, it's like a minute and six seconds long. The whole video is him being excited about something and going, woo, and, is, and Quincy going, woo. He graduates from college and Quincy's excited about it. It's Christmas morning and, and Quincy is excited about it. But I want to go back to the first one of what we're going on a road trip. Woo! <laughs> Thanks, Quincy. Uh, <laughs> Some people get very excited to go on road trips. They like the idea of going along and, uh, and seeing where the road takes them, seeing what surprises they can find, um, you know, driving along, and, and you see a place that interests you, and you stop. You don't really have any time frame or any place that you necessarily have to be really quick. You, you just drive off in, in one direction and... And let life come what may. And then there are other people who would prefer to know where you're going. You have a a set out itinerary and list of places that you are traveling. And you don't really want to stop a whole bunch of extra places because you just want to bloody get there. And if you haven't guessed, I'm kind of in the I just want to get there and, and get things going. I like weird little side adventures. But on the other hand, I also know that I have some things planned where I'm going, and I I just want to get there. Um, When Katie and I were driving the moving truck across country, that was about enough of the great American road trip for my tastes. (laughs) When you're in a a 16-foot-long box truck that's 11 feet high, and so you have to pay attention to all of the, the little signs on the overpasses, uh, suddenly you, you, the shine of just going wherever the road takes you, uh, it loses a lot of its luster. When Jesus announces that he has decided to go to Jerusalem, and depending on your Bible, uh, some say the New Living Translation says resolutely, he, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem Uh, Some will say steadfastly. He steadfastly set out for Jerusalem. Um, Other translations say he made up his mind to go to Jerusalem. Uh, But I I think it's the King James that says he set his face towards Jerusalem. And when he says this, the disciples go, woo! They're excited because they think this is it. 
Jesus, the Messiah, is going to Jerusalem. Earlier in chapter 9, chapter 9 of Luke is a big chapter. I mean, it is a pivotal chapter. The transfiguration happens. Jesus feeds the 5,000. He, uh, he asks Peter, or he asks the disciples, who do you say I am? Peter says, we are, you believe you are the Christ, the Messiah of God. Um, there's a whole lot that happens in Luke chapter 9. And then we get to this. So there's been a lot of lead up already. And now Jesus has said, we're going to Jerusalem. And the disciples think, all right, Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, we're, we're heading off. This is when the serious business begins. They think, all right, Jerusalem is the center. It's where the temple is. It's where heaven meets earth. And, and Jesus is going to go and he's going to set up his kingdom in the temple, and he's going to throw out all those awful Romans and restore the place of God's people on a, on a, in a powerful place on the world stage again. They think, all right, you know, these, these healings and miracles, yes, they've been important to establish who you are, but now we're going to get down to the serious business. And so their first, the first place they go is they have to go through Samaria. The Jews had a complicated relationship with the Samaritans, and that's putting it mildly. The Samaritans were from the old northern kingdom of Israel. Um, They were kind of at odds with Judea, which was the southern kingdom. And there was a lot of bad blood. The Jews said that that worship happened in Jerusalem at the temple, that that was where, where all appropriate worship was, was focused. But the Samaritans said it was on Mount Gerizim. And that caused a lot of friction. And there were, there were some other differences. <clears throat> but they had a bad history with each other. So Jesus sends people ahead to make accommodations, to, make, to, you know, to book the hotel reservations, um, <clears throat> to make sure that as things went along, they were able to stay in this particular village. Twelve people, 13 people, and maybe even more, we don't know exactly how many, um, we don't know exactly how many disciples there were following along with Jesus. But it could have been a a very large number of people. And that village wouldn't have been able to accommodate it. So Jesus sent people ahead. This was a common practice. And when they get turned down, Jesus has this thing about getting turned down at hotels. It happened once before in his life, and it's happened again. And James and John think, all right, we got it. We know what to do. And the passage that Jim read earlier was right at the forefront of their mind. They think these Samaritans have rejected the living God once again, and now we get to show them that we mean business. But Jesus defies their expectations. Jesus is walking along, and somebody comes up and wants to be a follower. And when... They, they say, they, they present their, their case for being a follower and says, I will follow you wherever you go. 
and Jesus defies their expectations. Then Jesus said to somebody, I think you should be my follower. And he says, let me bury my father. And Jesus defies his expectations. And then one other person says, I'll follow you, but, but let, me go, let me go say goodbye to some people and, and all of this. And Jesus defies their expectations. We do this sometimes, don't we? The same thing these people are doing. We have our expectations of what it's like to follow Jesus. And what it means to follow Jesus. And the repercussions of following Jesus. But when the challenge is put right to us, our expectations pale in comparison to who Jesus is. Jesus defies all of our expectations because our expectations are rooted in the fact that we are broken people. We are broken people living in a broken world. So when we approach Jesus, the Messiah, sometimes we're guilty of doing it not in a way that is consistent with Jesus' character as the divine Son of God, the second member of the Trinity, the Redeemer of humanity, the Creator and Sustainer. Sometimes we try to pin our expectations on Jesus. And I don't think any of the people in this passage are, are poorly meaning. I don't think any of them intended to be stubborn or, or to see Jesus in an inappropriate way. But in every encounter with Jesus, their expectations have to be adjusted. And the same goes for us. The disciples had expectations of glory. Jesus wasn't the first person that, that was strongly suspected to be the Messiah. There had been many, many messianic movements before Jesus. And in fact, every time there was a new conquest of Israel, every time another kingdom came in, some dude on a horse comes in and takes over Israel— this huge expectation of the Messiah happened. You may have heard of one of them, Judah Maccabee, the story of Hanukkah. If you're familiar with the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah at all, it, it usually happens in December around the same time, uh, you know, kind of around the same time as Christmas or Thanksgiving, like in that ballpark. But Judah Maccabee, who is at the center of the Hanukkah story, would end up, end up being having the messianic expectations laid on him only for him to be disappointed. They called him Judah the Hammer. And somehow all of these guys who, who were in, uh, in the, these messianic expectations had great names. There's Judah the Hammer and Simon the Star, and they both end up getting like brutally killed, but... They had great nicknames while they were doing it. And Jesus' disciples think, yeah, they failed, but we're really part of something because this guy's really after it. 
and they are considering their own glory. Because James and John want to stand in the shoes of Elijah. They want to call down fire from heaven on these people who have thumbed their noses at Jesus, who they believe to be the Messiah. They can't quite comprehend what that means yet, and that's how Jesus defies their expectations. Jesus is saying, that's what happened before. That was a different time. And this is the true revelation of my kingdom. And he disarms them. And he's already saying, my kingdom's not going to come about by force. My kingdom is not going to come about by violence that we inflict on other people. But rather, my kingdom is going to withstand rejection. My kingdom is going to undergo being sent away for the night. And in fact, his, his kingdom was going to be born out of something much, much worse than being turned away from a village. And we could equally comment about the Samaritan expectations of Jesus, that he was on his way to Jerusalem, not Mount Gerizim. And he's defying those expectations as well. The first person who approaches Jesus after this has an expectation of comfort. The expectation that if they get along with this movement, that that they can kind of go along with it, that they can follow Jesus, that it's kind of going to be easy and comfortable and nice and and something something that they can follow along with and, and get involved in but on their, on their own terms. And so they say, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, it's not going to be easy. Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God, is not particularly concerned with comfort or status or privilege because it says that the kingdom that Jesus is going to sometimes not have a place to lay his head, that he's going to wander. The second person comes with the expectation of fulfilling the old ways. There's some background to the whole comment of him burying his father. And it seems a little cruel what Jesus says. Let the dead bury their own dead. But what you've got to understand is that the number one task of a son was to bury his father. That came above a lot of the other commandments in their culture. In, their, in, those eye, in that eye, that way of seeing things, was to bury your father. Furthermore, the way that he phrases it indicates that his father's not yet dead, that he's going to have to wait, that Jesus is going to have to wait, so that he can then, when his father dies, bury his father. 
And Jesus says, there's an urgency to what I'm doing. There is a now that we have to pay attention to. And there's something that's going on here. And lastly, there's the person who wants to go say goodbye to their family. And Jesus shatters the, hit this person's expectation of allegiance. Elisha, when Elijah called Elisha, his successor, as a prophet, Elisha did go back and say goodbye to his family. But Jesus says, not this time. Jesus says, your allegiance needs to be to the kingdom, not to your family. And so the question that we have to examine this morning is what of our expectations is Jesus defying? Do we think that following Jesus is going to lead us in paths of glory? Because it's not. Following the paths of Jesus is going to lead us into the direct line of the greatest hurting and suffering in the world. If we're really following the Son of God, it's going to cause us to have to lay down our expectations of power. It's going to have to cause us to lay down our expectations of how things happen. The disciples wanted to bring about the kingdom through violence, but Jesus knew he was going to choose to die rather than kill his enemies. That his death was ultimately going to be humiliating. And do we have expectations of glory? Do we have expectations of comfort? We here, who live here in America, are afforded a great amount of freedom. And it's freedom that has come at a great price of lots of men and women. And we should never take that freedom for granted. But yet, if that freedom were gone tomorrow, and it were a felony to sit in this room, would we still be here? Following Jesus is going to be uncomfortable. Truly following Jesus is not going to lead us into the easiest of ways. We're going to see suffering. We're going to see hurting people. We're going to see families in conflict, people who struggle to get food, people who struggle for housing, people who are lonely. And it's going to break our hearts. Do we have an expectation that things are going to be the old ways? For a long time, God's people, the Israelites, had, a, had an expectation that, that things were just going to kind of motor on in a particular way and that this is how things were going to come about. 
And sometimes we as followers of Jesus do the same thing. We know that this is how how things have kind of motored along in the past, but are they going to keep going in the present? Are we going to follow Jesus into new paths? Are we going to be willing to say that, yes, the old ways were good, but maybe we need to go in a new direction? We have to give up that comfort sometimes for Jesus of knowing how the old ways functioned and embracing some new ways. Do we have the expectation of allegiance? Is Jesus shaking that up? Because there's a lot of, lots of things that we, we give our loyalty to. Just yesterday, I was at Safeway, and they asked me if I wanted to sign up for a little card that identified me as belonging to Safeway. Oh, you can be part of our club. You can be loyal to the Safeway club. And if you're loyal to the Safeway club, you can get $2 off that pint of dairy-free ice cream. Fortunately, the person that I was with had already pledged his loyalty to Safeway. And so by his, his uh, loyalty, I was able to get $2 off. That's a different story. At any rate, there's loads of things that we pledge our loyalty to, but is our ultimate pledge of allegiance to Jesus Christ. Because if it's not, we can't expect everything else in the kingdom to fall in line. We can't expect everything else in our lives to fall in line. And in fact, the illustration that Jesus responds with implies that everything will be very much out of line. Because if you have ever tried to plow a field or mow a, a lawn with a push mower, and you, something distracts you, and you turn for a second, what happens? And if you're mowing your lawn, eh, no big deal. You just make another pass over it. You're not going to have an award-winning lawn anyway. And, and it's not a, a problem. But if you're planting crops for your livelihood, and you have one furrow that is misshapen, that affects how much you can plant. That affects how much you can grow. And so Jesus says that if we keep our eyes on him, that everything else falls into place. But sometimes we allow little gods to step in the way of our worship of Jesus. Sometimes we allow little things to, to take precedence. And following Jesus means to getting back to the basics of putting Jesus at the forefront of our faith. Underneath everything else that I am, I have to be a follower of Jesus. And it's a great temptation for pastors to just assume that because I, you, you work in a church, you serve a group of people, that you're a follower of Jesus. But I have to make sure that underneath everything else, even underneath being your pastor, 
being Katie's husband, that I'm a follower of Jesus, first and foremost. Now, there's been a lot of heavy questions that I've put to you this morning. And a lot of introspection that's required, and that's okay. Let me give you a little bit of encouragement. One, Jesus doesn't just say, listen, I'm going to chill here. You guys go to Jerusalem. I'll get there. Jesus is walking along with the disciples through all of this. James and John want to burn down a village. (laughs) Jesus doesn't say, get out of here. Jesus keeps walking with them, and they keep walking with Jesus. I would love to know what happened to these three people, but I don't. We don't have any indication in the rest of Scripture who these people were, what happened, if they said, you know what, all right, I'll you know, let somebody else worry about my dad and I'll follow you, Jesus. We don't know. There is no indication given. But Jesus would have walked with them if they would walk with Jesus. And so as we're doing this hard work of, of introspection and making sure that our expectations of, of Jesus are in line with who Jesus is, Jesus does it with us. But the other thing is, we do it together. Because yes, there is a a time and a purpose when Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. But they all came back at one point after that work was done, and they kept on moving towards Jerusalem together. During this Lenten season, as we examine the things that stand between us and God, we have to ask ourselves these big important questions, but trust that Jesus goes with us and we go with each other together.